My name is Amanda. And I'm Kristen. And, and we, we are the Exo Sisters. So sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. Welcome to Haunted, <laughs> Haunted Happy Hour number eight. And in this Haunted Happy Hour, we're going to discuss the cases of Ed and Lorraine Warren. I've been looking forward to this. I didn't think I would be. You yeah. wanted it on the schedule, and I was like... Okay, well... First of all, before we get started, this is maybe a little controversial. Yeah. And we respect Ed and Lorraine Warren mm-hmm. as people and contributors to the horror community. Great storytellers. Yep. And rest in peace. I know Lorraine Warren just died this year. This is not because she died this year. This is unrelated. Yeah. But our condolences to the family, friends, and all those affected. Now that being said, let's let's do this. Yes. Also... We might be, this is going to be a different episode. You're probably going to be talking about some spooky stuff. And we might be repeating a lot of things because I'm going to be talking about the opposite of spooky stuff. So the real stuff. This haunted happy hour is called Haunted Hoaxes. Yes. So here we Do go. Do without what Again. you will. Yeah, here, here we go. So Ed and Lorraine Warren were paranormal investigators associated with prominent hauntings cases in the Amityville Haunting. Ed was a World War II Navy vet and a former police officer who became a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lector. Lorraine was a professed clairvoyant and medium. Together they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, which is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. So that's just some background on them. And on that note... (laughs) Let's dump some more wine. You said dump like it's a bucket, but on... I've already spilled it. It is wine. all over. I don't have any paper towels. Oh, it's on all my research. God <gasps> damn it! I, <laughs> I did it again. Okay, we're gonna be totally. Str- now it's on two different parts of my research. I hope I can still read this. I swear to God, it's all over. Oh no! Use more paper to sop it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it smells like the skull. <laughs> okay, well, um... This took a turn. We were going to be creepy, just... and now we're just funny. Fuck. Well, okay, to be completely transparent with you guys, we've recorded a happy hour before we recorded this one. And we've so already started. We've been drinking for a while, and this is not going well. It soaked through all four Fuck. pages <laughs> of my research that I spent two days working on it's fine it's totally fine fine. all right well so as you probably know ed and lorraine warren's cases are big famous movies which ties in the horror movie element you know right uh and even as dated as far back as the amityville horror in the 70s was a case that they were allegedly on yeah so we're gonna go through those and there are honestly quite a few and on my end again like Kristen said I focused on the actual case I did not focus on whether it was true or not true very much I'm the hoaxes part you're the haunted part right <laughs> and so uh, some of this was actually pretty creepy for me to research when you get into really this. yeah I'm excited all, well the conjuring and the conjuring two stuff like I've seen that and I know that but some of these cases I hadn't really dived into so some of them were like very especially because ed warren is and they're both demonologists y'all all know how i feel about demons at this point <laughs> and we ain't about demons up in here so it, it 
digs at that part of me a little bit, to be oh, perfectly honest. Especially the demon one. The demon murder case. Yeah. That we're going to get one. into. It fucking bothered me. I bet. So, so we'll go through these, talk about the movies. If they are movies, we'll talk about which one and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the stuff that was maybe real or not real or whatever the case may be there. So I'm going to start with probably a the most popular the thing that... Other than Amityville, that really started the Warrens, at least in modern pop culture and horror, which is the story of the Perrin family. Okay, so that's the first one, right? This is The Conjuring. Okay. Yep. And we did talk about this in The Conjuring episode, so some of this might be a recap, but just for the sake of talking about this, you cannot talk about Ed Lorraine Warren without talking about at least all the major films. And sure. this would be kind of what kick-started that, other than the Amityville horror, which they weren't Right. Really talked about much in those films. So, the Perrin family lived in the infamous farmhouse from January 1971 until 1980. Andrea Perrin has been the most vocal about the experiences the family had there and has even written three books about the house. She claims there were many spirits in the house, but there was one female spirit in particular who was violent and unhappy with the family, but especially the mother's presence. In the movie, this spirit is Bathsheba. So this is the one in the movie that possesses the mother. And, and hung herself and yep, all it, that. Exactly. Exactly. She smelled of what Andrea describes as rotting flesh. Ew. And would often lift and shake their beds at early hours of the morning. Ew. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Which reminds me of The Exorcist, which I just hate so much. The Warrens visited the house on several occasions to investigate the paranormal activity. Lorraine maintained throughout her life, however, that unlike in the movie, they did not and would not perform an exorcism as only priests are able to do that. So instead, they performed a seance. Andrea says that she was not supposed to be watching it, but was hiding in order to be present. She says she witnessed her mother become temporarily possessed. She spoke in a voice that was not her own and in a strange language, and the chair even levitated and her mother was thrown across the room. I'd freak out if I were a kid and saw that shit. I snuck watched Michael Myers and I had a meltdown. Yeah, right? Like PTSD, (laughs) like psychiatrist level. Yeah, dude, honestly. The entire Perrin family supported The Conjuring, the movie, and also Andrea's book, describing their own experiences in the house, although some siblings are more hesitant to discuss it. There was a real Bathsheba Sherman born in 1812 that apparently lost all of her children before they reached the age of seven. That's so sad. Yeah. There is no evidence to support that she was a witch. Only suspicious locals, as an infant child that was not her own, died in her care. Mm. Yeah. She's like cursed. Yeah. Sad. She also apparently died of old age, not of suicide. The family does believe that it was Bathsheba because Carolyn Perrin described an event of lying down and feeling a spasm and stabbing pain and then bleeding from a mysterious wound in her leg. Lorraine believed Bathsheba had stabbed her, and from then on, Lorraine addressed the spirit as Bathsheba. And although she did not commit suicide, the homeless host, get this, this is true. This is like from the records books. Although Bathsheba did not commit suicide, the homeless host to two suicides by hanging one suicide by poison, the rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl, Jesus, two drownings, and four men that froze to death. And those are the only deaths on record. Yeah. That's a lot of fucking deaths on record for one home. Yeah. I mean, the it, only? Well, they're saying that. That's what they mean, though. Like, those are the only ones recorded. Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, of all of the things to be haunted that they investigated. That should be haunted. This house is... 
pretty the up there. Rape and murder of an 11 year old girl? Yes, yeah. and that's on record. That's that's on record? That's on record. Who took that statement? Ugh, I don't even want to talk about that. Yeah. This one I did not have any hoaxes for, so I don't have anything for the parent family. So that was probably pretty true. I mean, un- honestly, what I read about the parent family is that pretty much all of their stories are consistent. So like with a lot of hauntings and things like that, they can't get their story straight or one sibling, especially when you have like five or six siblings is like, that's bullshit. That never happened. Fuck off. Now I do know that later families that have lived in the home, there was one couple that has lived there that said like lights would flicker on and off sometimes, but the extent of the haunting was fairly minimal, especially in comparison. And the current owner actually, I think this house just went up on the market and was sold this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably because she was so fucking tired. She really hated people talking to her about this. But that she maintains that she has not and did not experience anything in the house. Okay. Now, I am the hoaxes part, but I'm going to be the believer for this part. Right. There are different people. There are different types of medium, different types of being able to touch the spiritual side. Right. So, yes, I'm sure maybe the most recent owner wasn't that you know, able to be able to touch that side. Right. Whereas they kind of lessened off. Some people were able to see some lights, but maybe this parent family was very intense with that. Or were easy targets for whatever reason. They were very vulnerable. And were able to get literally touched and stabbed. Right. So. Yep. So The Conjuring leads me in actually to The Conjuring 2, talking about the film. This is the Enfield Poltergeist. Okay. And this is, again, the second Conjuring film, which I actually liked the second one more than I liked the first one. Really? I did. I really liked this movie. And it was... This one's much scarier. I was about to say, it's, it was... Because you see Volek in this one, uh, just talking about the movie. The, and the ugh, the creepy dude. Yes. Ugh. Yep. And in the room where you can easily see with the doorway right there and yes. the kids laying in the bed. Fuck this. This movie, I thought, was incredible. We're getting into movie reviews. (laughs) We're so bad at that. It's like we do that or something. We'll do The Conjuring 2, I'm sure, eventually. But Next year we have The Conjuring 3. True. So we'll do both. But spoiler alert, I like this one a lot. (laughs) Now, the true story is scary. So I'm going to talk about the true story, again, of the infield poltergeist. Okay. If I can fucking see through the wine, then I spill all over it. (laughs) On 284 Green Street in Enfield, England, a family claimed intense paranormal experiences involving two sisters aged 11 and 13. These experiences occurred between 1977 and 1979. Two years of being haunted. That's a long fucking time. I don't Mm -hmm. think I could handle two nights. Well, going back to the parent family, they were there from 71 to 80. I don't... I could not handle that. I couldn't either. Well, we talked about in our Stanley Haunted Happy Hour, if you remember... Our listener, Jesse, sent in his episode. He bailed the next fucking day. Yeah. Oh, speaking <laughs> of. Same. How's your Ouija board doing? Something something you should tell people that's going on with your Ouija board? <laughs> okay, so. Before have, we get into this. <laughs> I have this Ouija board. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't have it anymore because I sent it to a listener at his own request and discretion. 
first of all. Ryan, get rid of it. I told Ryan that it was his responsibility and it was not my responsibility if he got possessed or (laughs) if it fucked with him. I am not responsible for any murders or hauntings or deaths. Did you make him sign something? Jesus. No, but it's in my Instagram DMs. (laughs) So, before (laughs) it was October. Oh my God. And before I sent it to Ryan, because he had asked for it before this even happened. So I did warn him that something else happened. And you guys know I've had a few run-ins with this fucking Ouija board. And it stayed in the closet in my hallway. So everybody's got like a closet coat, Mm -hmm. coat closet in the hallway or whatever. That's what this was. And so I had the Ouija board up there. When we went to the Stanley, we brought an EMF reader, which is an electromagnetic field reader. And it supposedly picks up changes, like basically spiritual changes. Right. Um, Apparently spirits affect the electromagnetic field. So we had it on the entire night we slept at the Stanley. Yes. And that needle, so there's a needle gauge. It goes from the left side all the way to the right side. And it has a green area, a red, a yellow area, and a red area. And the most of it is green. Mm-hmm. And there's a small section of red or yellow and a small section of red. And it did not even budge the whole time we were at the Stanley, which is apparently one of the most haunted hotels in the United States. It was a Saturday. She was a maid. She was off for the weekend. That's what okay. we're going to say. But <laughs> unfortunately, I think a lot of people were waiting for the ghost story and it just did not yeah. happen. And we're not going to like make something up to make right. more interesting content because that's fucked up. But I got the content when I got home. <laughs> oh, God. So I was at home with my roommates, Katie and Sierra, and my husband was not home. And mm-hmm. I was like, let me turn on the EMF reader because I, I would literally like never to punish myself. I called you. I was, in fact, I sent it with you. I was like, this is not being in my house. And, and you did call me. I'm a dumb And bitch. let me listen to it. Yeah. So it was in our podcast room so we have a whole room in my house that's dedicated it, we just call it the spooky room we have all of our recording equipment in here and the emf reader you left on the table yeah. and i walked in to put something here and i didn't realize you had left it and i was like oh shit it's here and then i walked out and i was like you guys want to try it no okay <laughs> so let me lay out my house oh, it's God. longer than it is wide uh-huh. so the hallway there are three bedrooms and a guest bathroom before you get to the closet that the ouija board was in Okay. Okay. The podcast room is the first bedroom that you reach, and it's probably about five feet, five or six feet from the closet. Yeah. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, I would say that's right. So I turned it on. It was completely green, didn't move. I walked out of the podcast room, and I turned towards my bedroom, which is on the far side. I walked around my bedroom. It was completely green, did not move. Okay. And I called you. Yeah. Like, you witnessed this or heard it. I turned around to face the closet and it went to yellow. Mm-mm. I walked towards the closet where it was at and it lost its fucking shit. Mm, you're creeping me out. Like I listened to it already, but I'm here. I'm sorry. It literally lost its mind. And I am a I'm not a skeptic and that I I believe that, you know, there are paranormal things people experiencing. There are spirits. 
that do things. But I am a little skeptical about these tools and EMF readers. And I think they're kind of gimmicky. Uh But I got to fucking tell you, Mm. that thing was so red. And I even, that was just with the closet door closed. I opened it and it literally changed pitches. Uh. And... Yeah. I have to stay on her couch tonight, you guys. Which is right by where <laughs> the closet is. Um, but luckily... <laughs> um, but... Uh, you're, like, moving on? So I told Ryan, and he was still down with it. So that might be scarier than any of these Warren stories, because I experienced them personally. <laughs> That's for sure scarier. You're staying with me on the couch tonight, right? So I don't have to sleep by myself. Okay. Yep. So that happened. <laughs> And I, again, it could be a temperature thing. I I honestly don't know. But it's just super weird that it was right there. It was loud on the phone. And if you walked past it, it started going Mm. to the yellow and green again. And so, and also something that was super weird was when I opened the closet, it lost its shit. And when I set it on top of the Ouija board, it fucking stopped. Dead stop. It went completely green. Yeah. I'm so upset right now. So what if it's out? Stop. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. my God. All right, moving no. on. The infield poltergeist. Um. <laughs> moving along, moving along. Okay, so between 77 and 79. All right. <laughs> there were many paranormal societies and investigators involved, some believing the haunting to be genuine, and others citing evidence that the girls were faking the incident. I'll just tell the story and let y'all make a decision. So here we go. Okay. In 1977, single mom Peggy Hodgson called police because she had seen furniture moving and two of four kids heard knocking sounds in the walls. A policeman said he did see a chair move and slide around the room without being able to cite the origin of movement. Over the next months, the family, mostly the girls, said they heard strange broken voices and loud noises. Toys were thrown, furniture moved on its own, and most concerning... The girls would levitate. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it if went my from zero to levitated, sixty. I'd be like, "Here, you can have them. <laughs> I can, I can buy a new one. I need, <laughs> I need to go to a padded cell where it's safe. Thank you." Right. <laughs> over the time of the alleged haunting, over thirty people said that they witnessed these Jesus. events. Jesus. Mm-hmm. The Warrens visited the house in 1978 and were firm in their belief that this was a real supernatural event plaguing the family. Ed Warren was quoted saying, Inhuman spirit and phenomena were in progress. Now, you couldn't record the dangerous, threatening atmosphere inside that little house, but you could film the levitations, teleportations, and dematerializations of people and objects that were happening there. Not to mention the many hundreds of hours of tape recordings made of these spirit voices speaking out loud in rooms. There were dozens of investigators and media in and out of the house, and while the Warrens discuss it at length and the movie makes it seem as though they were heavily involved, they were only there for about a day and did not do much except affirm that they believed the house was haunted. In the film, Young Janet is possessed by a man, Bill Wilkins, which was inspired by the real audio tapes from the case. Okay. Years after the haunting ended, the real Janet told a news source that she felt as though she was being used by a force that nobody understands. She said it seemed that the poltergeist wanted to be a part of the family and did not want to harm them. And to corroborate her story, there was in fact a real Bill Wilkins that died in an armchair 
downstairs after suffering a brain hemorrhage, just like it says in the movie and in the audio tapes of the real case file. The haunting started after the girls played with a Ouija board. This case is widely seen as a hoax, and for many solidified their opinion that Ed and Lorraine Warren were scammers. So do with that what you will. Okay. Now the hoaxes part. Because I do have something about this one. And I'm going to repeat. It just won't be as long as what Amanda said. But I'm going to give you the hoax side of it. In 1977, the Warrens investigated claims that a family in the North London suburb of Enfield was haunted by poltergeist activity. While a number of independent observers dismissed the incident as a hoax carried out by attention-hungry children, the Warrens were convinced that it was a case of demonic possession. The story was the inspiration for The Conjuring 2, although critics say the Warrens were involved to a far lesser degree, quote-unquote, than portrayed in the movie, and in fact had shown up to the scene uninvited and been refused admittance to the home. Yeah, so... So what I have read of this case mm-hmm. has been pretty minimal. On their side, mm-hmm. the son of Bill Wilkins did say, so his son came out and said, yes, he did die mm-hmm. in the armchair from a brain hemorrhage. There are some spooky audio tapes. Right. I think what the Warrens did was investigated paranormal experiences and then they Stephen Kingdom. You know, like they... They were great storytellers. Oh my god. If they had stayed at storytellers, I would be advocating for them. Yeah. My problem is that you said this was true, and there is proof that these are hoaxes on quite a few of them. Yeah. That's my problem. Right. Do with that information what you will. That's what we're trying to tell you right now. Here's the spooky. Here's the hoax part. They were turned away in my part of it. They weren't even in the house. Yeah. And I didn't read that because, I'm again... You're the spooky part. Right. So next story. Annabelle. Uh Okay. Annabelle. Probably the more, uh, at least at this point in 2019, the most prominent of the Warren stories since Annabelle Comes Home. And the most financial. Right. (laughs) Since Annabelle Comes Home came out a few months ago. So, discussing the movie versus the real-life doll, most of... And this is mostly talking about the first Annabelle movie. Mm -hmm. So this was not Annabelle creation or Annabelle comes home as much as it was the first Annabelle when you really get introduced to her. And I know that that also happens in The Conjuring to introduce the Warrens, but this is talking about more the first movie. Okay. So discussing the movie versus the real doll, most of the movie is incredibly dramatized and made up. The previous owners of the doll were not attacked by a satanic cult. A husband never gave Annabelle to his wife. The owners never tried to unsuccessfully throw the doll away. Okay. All right. Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll that was given to a nursing student in 1968. Now, this is pretty spooky. She would sit the doll on her bed and notice that it would change positions. Ew. Yeah. Her and her roommate would find parchment paper around the apartment with messages like help me written on it, even though they owned no parchment paper. Which is... Right. Yeah. It gets worse. (laughs) A friend of the girls even said he woke up in their apartment after feeling strangled to the doll staring at him. And there were scratch marks and bruises, like claw marks across his chest. It even at one point appeared to be leaking blood. Jesus. Yeah. 
The Warrens were contacted after the student was told by a psychic medium that it was possessed by a little girl named Annabelle. The medium told the girls that the girl Annabelle just wanted to be loved, and so the girls basically gave Annabelle permission to stay. So this does coincide with the story from the movie. Wait, wait. Idiots. (laughs) Oh, right. I thought you were going to be like, nope, not what happened. No. But yes. The Warrens took interest and became involved when the occurrences got worse after they gave Annabelle permission to stay. Never give anything not of this world permission to do anything. Exactly. Ever. Ever, ever. I have an aunt and now a cousin that visit me. I never give them permission to do anything. I just let them be. And they let me be, and that's all it is. I just hang out with you? Yep. Don't try to talk to him either. Exactly. This is all in the beginning of the movie, the one part that remained consistent with the true story according to the Warrens. The Warrens claim he was actually possessed, and currently is, by an inhuman spirit, not by a little girl. They said the spirit did not want to stay in the doll, but was looking to possess a human host. The Warrens took the doll home after a cleansing, but the doll was basically hostile and Ed intentionally avoided the highways as he thought the spirit would try to harm them by causing a multitude of car and engine problems that actually did almost cause fatal accidents on their way home. He said during that ride, he had to sprinkle the doll with holy water and stop it from trying to harm him and Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine took the doll to their home and put it behind glass with a warning to never open it. Apparently, a museum goer in more more recent years ignored the warning and was killed in a motorcycle accident after being forced to leave the museum. Okay, but I'm just picturing Ed with the doll in the backseat just like whipping holy water back there. Be still, Satan. <laughs> so I, I have a, so when I was reading about this, it did say that they experienced like brake failure and engine stalling and stuff on the way home. But I have a question that's not related. Okay. Can anybody have holy water? As a Catholic. Because I say that because of this and also my friend that is Catholic, I remember growing up, her family had like this little ceramic thing that had water in it that they would, they would, you know. Like a bowl? It was like a thing that they actually hung on their wall right by their door. And it was only probably about like two inches long and like an inch wide where they would just. She was a deacon, right? I want to say yes. I think, I feel like that's what you said he was, was a deacon. And that makes sense because we do have bowls of holy water that we use to bless ourselves and genuflect before going into a pew, which is basically just kneeling and crossing yourselves again. And I could see, like, it's a bowl of water. I'm sure someone could take some from it. Or if Ed and Lorraine were friends with priests, as they say, and I'm sure were. Yeah. They probably just got it from them. I'm sure he probably just has it. I'm assuming (laughs) you can't just buy holy water on the internet. You cannot just buy holy water. They probably had a priest friend do it. Got it. I'll take that. Yeah. So I was just curious because it's like, if I were to just, like, could I just, like, go get holy water and, like, send it to Ryan to throw on the Ouija board? <laughs> you know, like. If you need it, you can walk into any church and it's in a bowl if you really need it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Good to know. Good information. Now, my side. According to the Warrens in 1968, two roommates claimed that Raggedy Ann doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. 
The Warrens took the doll, telling the roommates it was, quote-unquote, being manipulated by an inhuman presence, and put it on display at the family's, quote-unquote, occult museum. Right, right. Which, this occult museum, you guys, also contains pages from D&D books. No joke. Okay. If, okay, if I was a spirit and I was going to haunt anyone... If you haunt a room full of people playing D&D, I bet you'd get the best fucking reactions. The best ideas, too. Right. Exactly. So it contains pages from D&D books and random Halloween decor that you can buy anywhere. If you approach the doll case, this is my favorite fucking part. If you approach the doll case, they play creepy church-like music. So it's gimmicky. It's very, very gimmicky. And the last piece I'm going to bring up. And I want you guys to look at this. I want you to go to Wikipedia right now. As I'm speaking, pull it up on your phones, please. Now, this is not the Warren's fault. Yes. (laughs) This is is Wikipedia's fault for fucking leaving it. Okay? If you're in traffic, please don't do this and kill yourself. But please pull it up on your phones. Look at Wikipedia right now for Annabelle the doll. And this is what it says. And I pulled it, quote unquote. Halloween 1978, Annabelle doll. Quote, unquote, the original doll is also seen briefly behind Lori within the first 20 minutes of Halloween 1978 behind her on her drawers as she answers the phone. Okay, we're going to go off for a fucking second and I'm pissed off. <laughs> this is so, this is funny to me because of how angry it made I'm you. I'm fucking pissed off. Wikipedia <laughs> is supposed to be basically in the encyclopedia of our generation. She can have a fucking Raggedy Ann doll without it being the Annabelle. Who fucking put it? Who in Wikipedia let it stay? And I'm anybody can adjust these things, and I'm about ready to go in there and pull it off. I'm going to wait. Uh, honestly, we're doing this episode early, so I'll probably wait a couple months before I go on and do it, unless you guys want to, but I'm pulling it off of there. She can have a fucking Raggedy Ann doll without it being Annabelle, and that's bullshit. Yep, I agree. <laughs> who put it on there and who left it? And I'm mad. You're letting society believe something that fucking ridiculous. I have something to say, but it's completely off on a different subject. Go ahead. Well, it's about Wikipedia. And it's just like, <laughs> so I have like a bunch of pieces of different degrees, but yeah. I like never finish anything because I'm <laughs> a procrastinator and a non-finisher and I'm poor and I also um, don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life and I'm uh, 27 so that's great Mm. but one time I wrote a paper and Mm -hmm. I edited a Wikipedia page with part of my paper and it Uh still remains there to this day as information yeah I have done the same thing did that in high school and it literally changed within 15 minutes yeah it changed back so the fact that this still remains fucking hurts my heart as a horror movie lover and as, are you fucking kidding me, pop culture? Do you want to see if it's all on there right now? Yes. All right. Let me pull up Google Chrome real quick. We're going to do this right now, you guys. We're looking for it. Okay. Background references. Film appearances. Film appearances. The original doll is seen Halloween. briefly behind Lori. Are you fucking kidding me? Are people so ignorant that they don't realize that just a Raggedy Ann doll is a Raggedy Ann doll? It's not Annabelle? Every Raggedy Ann doll is Annabelle, and Annabelle is every Raggedy Ann doll. That's fucking stupid. I want one. Ow. When did they grab her? Fuck. In 1968, like, this happened, and they went and grabbed the doll pretty soon, I thought. I don't think Halloween and John Carpenter had the budget or the time to go pick her up to sit in the background. For 15 minutes. Not even. 
for two seconds. Fucking A. The end. Moving on. I'm sorry. Okay, so this next one's kind of short because everybody fucking knows the story of the Amityville Horror. Okay. So before I even talk about the Lutzes, just a little background if you are like totally in the dark about the Amityville Horror, which is weird. (laughs) There was a family there before the Lutz family arrived that were murdered in their sleep Mm -hmm. by another family member. Right. All right. So that's the background. I'd take that down. Being murdered in your sleep. Yeah, me too. Yeah. The Warrens did not actually arrive to the Lutz's home until after they fled. Okay. So they, the Warrens did not show up until after the family has left out of total fear. Okay. Right. They were called to the home by a reporter 20 days later. Okay. Ed called an entire team of reporters, investigators, and paranormal experts to witness the activity. Ed was pushed to the floor by a hostile force while reciting biblical verses in the basement. Lorraine was riddled with an overwhelming sense of a demonic force and images of the family that were murdered bodies on... So, their bodies on the floor. Like, their murdered bodies on the floor. That was hard to say, drunk, I don't know why. (laughs) The team even caught an image of a ghostly boy on the staircase. Which freaks me the fuck out. Thinking this is a hoax or not, he creeps me out. He's scary, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. In his in his striped shirt yes, on the stairs. Yes. yes. The property had been home to a man named Josh Ketchum. Gotta catch them all. All the demons. All the demons. <laughs> that practiced black magic as well as the Shinnecock Indians. The Warrens believed that the intense suffering that happened on the property left it a magnet for demonic activity and negative energy that was felt by both the Lutz family and the family that was murdered before they moved in. No more residents since the Lutzes have experienced any paranormal activity. So we actually have an episode that's coming up in the month that delves more into this. You mean the Amityville Horror episode? I do. I do mean that. (laughs) Uh, so my hoax part is actually going to be pretty small because I also talk about it in there, but the hoax part of it is the Lutzes actually, they wrote a book and they came up with the idea over many bottles of wine with their attorney. Yeah, literally like what we're doing right now with their attorney. Let me say that again, attorney. So it i mean seriously you do you expect people to honestly believe this it's a great story and honestly you should have left it at that but you're literally saying that you made this up the end <laughs> well no i mean like okay so if you are going to say based on a true story i'm sure there are some legal ramifications if it's not at least loosely based on a true story so it makes sense if you are embellishing to have an attorney present to make sure that you don't like falsely market this story yeah, and you've got to make sure he's comfortable with many bottles of wine. I mean, I bet I could write a bitchin' book on about the Ouija board demon. Absolutely, with many bottles of wine. <gasps> I'm gonna. <laughs> I, don't I will know. say I just, loosely based. I think that's ridiculous. I think that the ghost in the picture freaks me the fuck out. Honestly, I really don't want to know if it was a, a false picture or not. Because he creeps me out so much that that's one of those nightmare things. Oh, I, I honestly know. believe that... I really believe that Lorraine was somewhat of a medium, and I believe that she probably went in there and did a seance and probably saw some shit. I do not believe that that family saw anything. Maybe. Maybe some lights flickering, some doors slamming. Ew. God. I'm sorry. 
I looked at the picture. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh my god, we're drunk. <laughs> okay, but now I have to close my Google app. Yeah, you do. I'm not looking. Ew. Mm-hmm. Had you never seen the picture? I saw it when I was doing research, but I was like reading stuff and I scrolled past him because he was like embedded in an article, so I didn't really look at him. Yep. That's upsetting. He, yeah, right? <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> I think that they created the story of many bottles of wine after maybe experiencing some light flickers, some doors slamming, maybe some furniture moving. I don't think that anything really terrifying actually happened to them. I mean, you can be possessed, or excuse me, you can be haunted without a demonic possession. Exactly. And that was like the Warrens thing. Like, everything was a demonic possession. Exactly. And that's my problem. You can't even admit to yourself that not everything is. Because that's the scariest part of being, the human condition is Satan and demons and all that shit, you know? And that, I feel, is they delved into it to make book sales. I listen, I ain't, I ain't like a person. I just sound like a Texan. <laughs> I ain't, I'm not. <laughs> I ain't, I'm not. Um, I, my Southern accent comes out a lot when I drink. So I'm not against getting your money. Like, no. totally. Like, I, I love money. <laughs> <laughs> I would never, I would never. When you become talk- senator, that's your quote. <laughs> <laughs> I talk a lot on this podcast about how we do this because we love it. But am I going to lie and say that if one day we got a sponsor that I wouldn't be like, fuck yeah. yeah. No, of course not. Of exactly. course, I would be like, yes. I literally just bought us a new fucking MacBook. Yeah. Like, it would be great to be able to pay that off. And I literally bought it because of this podcast. Like, And that's not like I needed a new one because my other one was a fucking dinosaur. But, you know. I, I would love to make money, and I would love to make money off my experiences. Would I write a book about the Ouija board? Maybe. But would I say, like, this is an embellishment? So some things happened, and I filled in the blanks of things that could have happened that would have scared me. Yeah, I wouldn't go around saying that, like, I was possessed or exactly. something like that. I, or I would be upfront about it and be like, this these are the true events, mm-hmm. and the rest is my... Yeah. My creative Had they gone in and said that this is, this house is haunted a little bit, as opposed to they were possessed, it's a very different thing. And it's, it changes the believability of it for me. And to be honest, kind of takes away from the, that family that was murdered there pre, you know, before. Exactly. That's kind of fucked up because people are murdered by people sometimes with mental illnesses and to kill your entire family, you're a pretty sick individual, whether that be actually sick with a mental illness or you're just a fucked up person. Exactly. And to say that it was because of this demonic possession could be pretty disrespectful depending on what was going on in that dynamic. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Can you imagine that poor family that was murdered or the the grandparents or aunts and uncles of that family that was murdered and looking at our Amityville horror, Amityville terror, Amityville all these now. Yeah. That's terrible. Right. I wouldn't want my family out there as that. Yeah. I totally agree. That's all I have on that one. This next one is actually the one that bothered me the most as far as scaring me. Okay. And I'm actually nervous to talk about it. Really? Because it is so scary to me. Because it is a demon story. Like, these are all, like, 
quote-unquote demon stories, but this one... It's a it's a legal case. Like this is it's like Emily Rose. Yes, exactly. Maybe Emily Smichael. It's like that. So this one actually bothered me, and when I was researching it, I it was it was spooky. Okay. Okay. So I'm ready. In Brookfield, Connecticut, in 1981, Arn Johnson walked up to his landlord, Alan Bono or Bono, not sure, and stabbed him multiple times with a pocket knife. Jesus. Bono died later that day in the hospital. Okay. This story actually started a year earlier with an 11-year-old boy named David. David woke up hysterical. Okay. <sighs> About You're see- right now. Uh, Yeah, this one's... It fucked with... Uh, I'm going to take another drink, which is like the exact opposite of what I need to do, but... <laughs> okay. All right, fuck. Okay. David woke up hysterical about seeing a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animalistic features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hoofs that warned him to beware. After this incident, David was not the same. Yeah, I bet. He completely changed from a happy, spunky child to a scared, quiet, reserved boy. David's sister, Debbie, had a fiancé named Arn, and Arn and Debbie decided to stay with David to try to help him come around again. David's nightmares continued, and on top of that, bruises and scratches began developing on his skin while he slept. As it got worse, David began seeing the Beast Man during the day, and it would take different forms. This should be a movie. Yes. I'll get there. One being an old man with a white beard. Arn noticed noises in the attic as well, but could not find a source, which is very exorcist. Yeah, don't go up there. Don't look for it. The family eventually turned to the church for help. A priest blessed the home, but then seemed to make things worse. David began to hiss and scream at his family in multiple voices and began quoting Paradise Lost, which he had never heard of. Jesus. Yeah. David also began having seizures at night, and he was watched by someone and woken up every 30 minutes. Jesus. The church turned to Ed and Lorraine Warren for help. Ed and Lorraine came to David, and during Ed interviewing David, Lorraine described her observations as such. While Ed interviewed the boy, I saw a black, misty form next to him, which told me we were dealing with something of a negative nature. Soon the child was complaining that invisible hands were choking him, and there were red marks on him. He said that he had the feeling of being hit. The Warrens agreed that the boy was possessed, and the Warrens and four priests conducted three separate exorcisms on David. They claimed he was held hostage by 43 demons. I didn't even know there were 43 (laughs) demons. Which is just incredibly upsetting. (laughs) During the exorcism, Arn taunted the demons to try to draw them out and distract them. Even going as far to say, I bet you won't come in to me. Don't do that. Don't Don't, don't do that. Yeah. No, no. After the exorcism, things seemed to return to normal, and Debbie and Arn moved into their own apartment, rented to them by Alan Bono, or Bono. (laughs) 
According to Debbie, Arne had never gotten into trouble in his entire life. He was a hard worker that helped his family to all means, and he was all but 19 years old. But he soon started go in, going into trances where he would growl at nothing. Ew, oh my god, that would freak me out. And claim to be talking to the same beast that had taunted David. Could you imagine walking no. into a room and no. Brad is no. growling at something? I would cry and Fuck leave. That. I would call you and be like, I gotta fucking stay with you. I'd be like, absolutely you do, and um, we just need to burn that house down. Because damn. Within minutes. I mean, if he's gone, he's gone. Because <laughs> damn. No, I'm just kidding. I would save my husband and call a priest, but whatever. But, <laughs> dude, honestly, like, this is why this bothered me so much, because this is... They need to... So, this is a movie, which I will get to in a minute. Oh, it but is? They need to fucking remake it. It's a movie? Yeah, I'll tell Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm ready. I'm excited. The reason they're not going to remake it is legal problems. Oh. But I will get into okay. that in just a moment. He would never remember any of it when he would come out of this trance. He would just snap back like nothing happened. He even started to get into minor trouble with the police. But on that day, in February of 1981, Arn called him to work and hung out with his fiance and landlord and his fiance's cousins. An argument broke out between Arn and Alan, and Arn started to growl and hiss at him. He proceeded to stab Alan and pierced his heart. Arn's lawyer used the defense of not guilty due to demonic possession. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a defense? Oh this my is, god. This happened. Oh my god. And he actually, I didn't write this down, but I remember looking. He did it because it was done in England and accepted as a defense. That's why the lawyer did it. Got it. Yeah. Smart. The judge refused to accept it. <laughs> Arn only served five years and later married Debbie. That is a loyal ass bitch. Yeah, she is. If my husband first of all, growling he, Okay, let's just take away the demon part. He fucking murdered somebody <laughs> with a pocket knife. He did fucking do that. I love how I'm stuck on the growling and you're like, he fucking murdered somebody. <laughs> That's a he, good point. He didn't. Okay. He and they that. even said they drank that night or that day. And so some of it may have been like alcohol fueled, but he fucking <laughs> pierced someone's heart with a pocket knife. Do you know how motivated you have to be to get through layers of skin with and a muscle pocket knife? to get to the heart with a pocket knife? Jesus. I digress. Their rent must have been real high. They are still together to this day. <laughs> yeah. After the trial, Lorraine Warren co-authored a book that got the publisher sued by David's family as the claim the possession story was made up by the Warrens so they could exploit David's mental illness. Side note, there is a movie called The Demon Murder Case starring Andy Griffith and Kevin Bacon. Really? Yep. Andy Griffith? Mm Mm-hmm. How old is it? 2006? Interesting. I'm going to Google it for you real quick. And it's just so interesting because there's more on the suing of the publisher. But after this, David went into psychiatric care. Yeah. And seemed to do very well and better. And so that's why the family was like, he was mentally ill. And you're exploiting a weak moment for profit. Of what she killed someone. Right. Ooh, okay. 
Oh, I was super fucking wrong. The book was republished in 2006. The film is from 1983, and it has a 4.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Jesus, so into shit. Yeah. It, okay, so from the cover, it looks like shit, to be honest. Like, you can kind of tell sometimes. And it has a 14% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Poor Kevin Bacon. So... The reason that one fucks with me is the beast man coming and standing there in the corner of a room. And that is just... David was even later diagnosed schizophrenic. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he was. Absolutely. Now the hoax aside. Okay. In 1981, Arne Johnson was accused of killing his landlord, Alan Bono. Ed and Lorraine Warren had been called prior to the killing to deal with the alleged demonic possession of the younger brother of Johnson's fiancé. The Warrens Warrens subsequently claimed that Johnson was also possessed. At trial, Johnson attempted to plead not guilty by reason of demonic possession, but was unsuccessful with his plea. The day after the murder, Lorraine Warren informed the Brookfield police that Johnson was possessed when the crime was committed. A media blitz, quote-unquote, soon surrounded the story, fueled in part by the Warrens, whose agents promised that lectures, a book, and even a movie detailing the gruesome case were in the works. Which all came. Yep. They were already working on movie, book, and lecture deals when this man was going on trial. Okay. Are they not the smartest fucking business people? They are, and they have amazing ideas. But stop fucking... Exploiting people? Yes. Stop going, oh, this is a demonic possession. We could sell millions of books. You're right, you could. Give it some time. Be a little tactful. This man killed someone. Someone fucking died. A little boy is traumatized now. But... We can sell some books, do some lectures, uh, make yeah. some movies. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. And then they ended up getting their Conjuring series, which I know doesn't have anything to do with this, but they got the ultimate goal. Yeah. Now, I have heard Lorraine Warren was like the sweetest human being. Yeah. But <laughs> also exploited. I honestly believe Lorraine was probably a medium. I think that... Ed? Mm, Maybe not even Ed, but maybe the two together were just bad. She had the gift, and maybe she also wanted a little money and didn't want to go to a 9-to-5 accounting receptionist job. I don't know. And they thought they could do this instead, and they're right. And if they had just noted it as books and stories, it would have been fine. But instead, you took people's lives and murders and horrible things, and you turned them into profit for yourselves. Right. But if they had only done, you know, we came up with a spooky story, there wouldn't have been the media coverage already there. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying it's smart. It is Just from a money-making standpoint. Uh, capitalism. Ah, capitalism. (laughs) Okay, um... I know we mentioned the rape of an 11-year-old girl already. Jesus. But yeah, going... We did do that. Um, this one has a little bit of a content warning on sexual assault in a really weird way. So this okay. is the Snydegger House, which the movie is The Haunting in Connecticut. In 1986, the Snydegger family rented a home in Southington, Connecticut. 
When the couple arrived with their four children, they found tools in the basement typically used by morticians and soon discovered their home was used as a funeral parlor. Shortly after arriving, their oldest son began seeing ghosts and visions and things escalated from there. Both parents claimed they were raped and sodomized. Jesus Christ! By demons. Ew. Yeah, there's your content warning. Don't ever buy a mortuary. God. It was a duplex, which is the weirdest part. So the guy probably stayed upstairs and had his funeral parlor downstairs. Seemingly. Gross. Seemingly. (laughs) The mother, Carmen, said one day her mop water turned blood red and the smell of and it smelled of dying flesh. The children would see apparitions of strange people wandering around the house. They would hear flocks of birds taking flight. Yeah. In the house? Mm-hmm. The oldest son seemed to be the most affected and became violent, even attacking... All right. This is mm. also... Attacking and attempting to rape his little cousin. Jesus Christ! Leading to his arrest and diagnosis of schizophrenia. The family then contacted the Warrens. This was kind of in the middle of him attacking his cousin and then contact or being diagnosed. The Warrens moved into the house for a few weeks until they too started experiencing similar things. They said they saw firsthand the damage the demons in the home could inflict, including themselves and members of their investigative crew, and the family being slapped, beaten, pushed, and body slammed to the floor. They believed the demonic presences were fueled by the history of the home. One of the the funeral home undertakers being a necrophiliac. Ew! Ah, fuck. That just... The Warrens deemed it necessary that the home have an exorcism in which they successfully banished the evil from the home. The family that lived in the duplex above the family that was experiencing this and families that have lived there after have never experienced anything even close to what the family and the Warrens experienced. The home's owner even refuted that it had once been a funeral home. A horror novelist even tried to write a book with the Warrens and the family together but found it difficult as the stories did not line up. He even quoted Ed Warren as saying the people that contact them are usually crazy and to add in whatever details he needed to to make it scarier. I didn't even have to give you guys the hoax part. She just did. It was a big part of this story. Yeah, that's a huge fucking part. Yeah, so the quote was actually much longer. It was talking about... You know, the people that contact us are crazy and we just go and we entertain them and this is what we have, but feel free to just do whatever you need to to make this scary and sellable. I mean, that makes me think even more that Ed Warren was the one. He was the one who was like, we're going to make money off of this. You can kind of do a little bit of this. You can talk to him a little bit, talk to the spirits, but we're going to make fucking money. We're going to make books. Movies. We're just going to, whatever they say, we're going to put it in there and people are going to buy it. Now, I like this movie. The Haunting in Connecticut. Seen it one time a long time ago. You should watch it again. It's actually, in my opinion, pretty fucking creepy. And the boy in the movie is going through cancer I know he's stuck in the basement by himself. And that just creeps me out. Yes. And I actually... It's been a long time since I've watched it. But that would be one that I'd be down to do. Because it was actually pretty creepy, I remember. From when I saw it. I'm going to make you or Connor watch it with me. Because that's terrible. 
That's fair. There's no demon rape in the movie. <laughs> Jesus, that's horrible. Yeah. It okay. reminds me of the entity uh-huh. a lot. And y'all should watch it. I'm blanking on Barbara Hershey. Is that what you're no, there's another movie that's another demon rape movie? Yeah. Devil Inside. The Devil, Devil Inside. Inside is a demon rape movie? Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Ew. Why is that a thing people make? Like, I thought the entity was terrible and we should never make anything like that again, but okay. Yeah, you made me watch that weird fucking movie. I did. I did do that. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> alright. We'll make them watch it next year. That's something we should do a haunted hoaxes on. Or not. I kind of believe her. That demon rape story? Yeah. Yeah. She has pictures of, like ghosts and weird ew, stuff floating ew, above ew. her head like around her and she had newspapers come in and do that and the next one i have i actually am doing because it was in annabelle comes home it was this is my last one okay it is the south end werewolf Interesting. so you don't have the small family nope oh we have separate ones that's cool a man named Bill Ramsey in Essex, England was believed to be possessed by a demon that manifests... I'm sorry. This one's funny to me because I just think it's ridiculous, but whatever. <laughs> he was believed to be possessed by a demon that manifested itself as a wolf. Bill was a normal child, but as early as the age of nine, he began displaying what was described as inhuman behaviors. Bill said that one day while playing outside, he felt an intense cold and putrid smell overwhelm him right before he flew into a rage. He uprooted a fence post that still had the fence attached to it and began chewing on the wire mesh, which just hurts my fucking teeth, bro. <laughs> and he said that he felt like that because he felt like he was caged and needed to escape or something like that. <laughs> Run away from the barbed wire. You don't need to eat it. Yeah, no kidding. That was the only incident as a child and Bill grew up to have a seemingly normal adolescent hood until the 1960s. As an adult, he began to have vivid nightmares in which he would break out in a cold sweat and wake up panting like a dog. Even decades after the nightmares started, Bill began feeling the same sensations he did as a child while with his friends. He even attacked a friend and a police officer. He spent time in the hospital with symptoms of rage, barred teeth, growling, hunched shoulders, and hands curling into claws. Even local newspapers had headlines like, He Fights Cops on All Fours. <laughs> Ed and Lorraine Warren caught wind of the story and got in touch with the police in Bill's area and were granted permission to speak with him. The Warrens convinced Bill to travel to the United States to their church in Connecticut to undergo an exorcism. The night before the exorcism, Bill tried to strangle his wife in her sleep. The next day, the Warrens and a bishop began the exorcism, performed in Latin, but nothing seemed to happen for quite some time. After about half an hour of trying, suddenly Bill's face and body contorted and he attacked the bishop, but very quickly, Bill returned to normal. Bill has not spoken out since 1992 and said at that time that there have been no other incidents. And that was the werewolf that we saw in... Annabelle comes home. That was the real case that they kind of loosely based that on. Loosely based. <laughs> Sounds like the kid needed Ritalin. Just saying. 
So I thought we were gonna match, you know, haunted to hoax, and I actually have an extra hoax that you don't have a haunted for. Hmm. All right. So the Smurl family. Pennsylvania residents Jack and Janet Smurl reported their home was disturbed by numerous supernatural phenomena, including sounds, smells, and apparitions. In 1986, the family brought in a pair of demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren. According to Ed Warren, the demon that inhabited the Smurl's home was very powerful, and it shook mirrors and furniture after they tried to persuade it to leave by playing religious music and praying. Warren claimed he felt a drop in temperature and saw a dark mass, quote-unquote, form in the home, and the, and the demon once left a message on a mirror telling him to get out. I would leave. That would all... If there's a demon anywhere and that it tells you to get out, anything, like, get <laughs> you out, fucking get out. I'm fucking out. After months of investigation, Warren alleged that he had a number of audio tapes containing knocking and rapping caused by the demon. In 1986, the Smurls told the press that they were tired of the constant media bombardment. However, within a few months, they had authored, along with Ed and Lorraine Warren and Scranton newspaper writer Robert Coran, a paperback book version of their story called The Haunted, published by St. Martin's Press. Mm. So you have shit going on, but you're like, book? leave us alone, but we're going to make a book. Leave us alone unless you're paying for it. Literally. That's, like, seriously? That's not a hoax? To, I mean, come on, you guys. You're literally doing it just to get a payday. I only do things to get a payday. I mean, that's why we do this podcast. What do you, you guys, we're making so much dough. We make thousands a month. We have so much money. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a hoax. <laughs> right? Like, okay. Well, okay. I appreciate the Warrens as a pillar in the horror movie community absolutely just like robert england you know we know that name we hold on to it right and the cases of ed and lorraine warren have provided us with an abundance of cool fucking james wan movies fucking true good job creating amazing horror yes now we are not saying they are definitely hoaxes that's not our place the point is you guys choose right and if you totally believe them i totally respect you because i don't think that all of these weren't hauntings i didn't even have hoax parts for some of these the parents i didn't have anything right haunting in connecticut didn't have anything I and I think that now granted that one's pretty uh, you had something so, yeah but I, think, I didn't I don't think that you know you could even say I don't think any of these didn't happen I just don't think they happened to the extent that I think they maybe wrote flickering about. lights and doors maybe some furniture moving but I think a lot of this was over exaggerated by maybe wine like we're doing right I totally agree and. That's not to be disrespectful to the warrants. Again, like, get your money. But mm-hmm. it's just very subject to your interpretation of what you believe from the warrants. Exactly. And I think that I would I would go to the occult museum and pay mm-hmm. to see some Halloween decoration. Like, you know, I'm sure there is, through their 
lives some real haunted shit in there i think that they have seen things i think that lorraine was tapped into something as you said so i was gonna say what's your deep down what do you think were they hoaxes i think that like i said these things happened like you said <laughs> to a much lesser extent i and think they exaggerated i yes i think that you know i think we do that and maybe it wasn't even a conscious thing. Maybe they got so into who they were to the public that they created these narratives that they believed. Well, isn't that just humanity? Don't, even when something weird happens at work, don't you cr- turn it into this crazy thing? We had a patient come in today. He didn't want to give us information, and when he finally did, and one of our employees said a name like, for example, Edward, he goes, why did you say my name? That's really unsafe. There are so many, like, Edwards, do you really think anything's going to happen? But that's not the point. You know, eventually that story could turn into this crazy thing of... There was a terrorist attack at the post office, and... (laughs) Don't come for my terrorist story, okay? But that's literally human beings. When you tell a story to your family members and your friends, don't you slowly exaggerate it? Once you get away from the middle of it, when what actually happened, you kind of change what the person said, or how they approached you, or things like that. That just happens. You forget tiny, minute things, and eventually it becomes a game of telephone. And it turns into this crazy thing that happened. Well... And that's kind of what I think. I don't think that they were... I think that some of the things they did may have been unethical. But I don't think inherently they were bad people. Mm -mm. I think that they... Lorraine may have had a gift Mm -hmm. of maybe, like you do, seeing figures every now and then. Or... And then it became this huge thing. Yeah. Well, especially in this... Okay, if you look at the 60s... I mean, uh-huh. hor- let's just talk about horror films for a moment, which is like our jam. Mm-hmm. You you started to get, like, yes, we had horror in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, but it really started amping up in the 60s and the 70s. And people, it became much more mainstream. People were wrapped around fucking theaters when The Exorcist came out in 1973. And a lot of this happened between, like, 60 let's say 65 and like 1985. Mm-hmm. This was when horror started experimenting and people started going and it was a Friday night thing and all the teenagers would go and it would be something that you celebrated and enjoyed and became part of mainstream culture. So why not tap into that? Absolutely. This is also when, I'm sorry, I'm a history buff. The Vietnam War was the biggest fucking thing going on. You have that and then you have the peace and love hippies. Don't you want to go to the movies and get away? Don't you want to read a book by demonologists and get away from your brother's, sister's, sons that are over there dying? Don't you want to get away from that? And I would. One of the reasons we've talked about loving horror so much is it, yeah, it's horror and it's death and it's scary, but it's exhilarating to experience some of that. Like, I think it gets you out of the world yeah, for a moment. Like a month ago, we did an episode on a movie we had never even heard of until a week before we did the fucking episode Mm -hmm. because one of our favorite critics was like this is one of the most disturbing fucked up movies i've ever seen and we were like fuck yes yeah we got to do it yeah and so you know nobody asked for that but it's like i'm so excited to get scared because it makes you feel something that's different than what you feel every day this is gonna go again 
I'm a bottle of wine in and I'm <laughs> sorry if I'm disclosing too much personal information, but I don't want to fucking deal with my anxiety and my depression and horror movie anxiety is incredibly superficial and it's fun and it, you get that release at the end of it and it, it's not your day to day to day horrors that you deal with and you can rationalize that that was just a movie. And that's a lot fucking easier to deal with than saying, I need to now go through months and months and months of therapy to address something that I haven't dealt with in a decade. Absolutely. You're completely, completely fucking correct. Yeah. That's exactly so, what I'm getting around to. That, that was a huge problem in the 60s. You had these terrible, terrible things going on right next to great things. I mean... Whether people like them or not, the hippies did a lot for just our culture on bringing yeah. it forward. You had such a polarizing thing going on in culture. Wouldn't you want to get away with some creepy shit for a little bit? With some fucking Michael Myers just walking around killing babysitters or Freddy mess fucking people up in their dreams. Like, yeah, maybe it keeps you up at night. But you know deep down in your heart of hearts that that was a movie. Now, if other things are keeping you up at night, like stress or your family or whatever is going on in your life, that's way more difficult to deal with than real life stresses and problems. I would any fucking day rather a movie keep me up than things that I'm actually trying to deal with. That you can't actually deal with right now. Exactly. Your subconscious can deal with a movie all day long. You may not want it to deal with it, but they can. It'll rationalize it at the end of the day as a movie, as a film, as imagery, as of production and, you know, bells and whistles of right. of Hollywood. I full on believed the Warrens for the first movie. And then The Conjuring 2 came in and I read a little bit on it and I'm like, they... They didn't even go into the house. They were sent away from the house. But they're saying that they were there the whole fucking time. That's my problem with it. All they had to do was, hey, this was an incredible fucking story that we wanted to tell you and I would have been fine. But the fact that you're lying to me, you're telling me that you were a huge part of it and you weren't even in the fucking house. That hurts my heart. You lied yeah. to me. Right. And now you just lost my faith. I'm done. And I think that, you know, like, let's just talk about Exorcism of Emily Rose, which was kind of one of our... Honestly, one of our bigger episodes this year, just looking at numbers, mm -hmm. it is based on a true story. And, of course, they dramatize the possession scenes and right. things like that. But when it gets down to it, we've already listened to the audio on our podcast. That actually exists. So mm -hmm. they did not go that far from the audio. But what the Warrens did was they took a loose skeleton of a story and they gave it muscles and skin and breath and movement right and that's a lot more elements than just having the bare bones of it right so they kind of took other people's experiences and used them for their own gain which the Grimm brothers did the same thing but at least they admitted they were fairy tales yeah at least they flat out told you up front yeah so again, not to sound like the fourth kind, but what you believe is completely yours to decide. And I think we both think that there is some truth and some falsehoods with the Warrens. And mm -hmm. I think you have to take everything with a grain of salt that really anybody in pop culture, any storytellers are telling you. So it's just important that you, 
and I'm not saying don't enjoy the Conjuring movies or the Annabelle movies or whatever horror. In I this do. Universe. Conjuring movies are amazing. I love the Conjuring films. So we just, yeah. I mean, the second one, oh my God, yeah. scared the shit out of me. Oh my God, Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, they're fucking amazing. As the Warrens, you love them. Amazing. Yeah. But they're not the Warrens. No. So, you know. Again, take this episode however you want. We've told you the real story. We've told you some of the accusations. And that's that. And decide from there. Yeah. So, thank you so much for hanging out with us and putting up with our... Our drunk asses. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you can always hang out with us on our social media. Everything is the Extra Sisters podcast or the Extra Sisters. Just ex- Extra Sister. <laughs> Look it up. You'll find us. And you can always email us at theextrasisters at gmail.com. What do you think of the Warrens? Do you think they were hoaxes? Do you believe them? Yeah, let us know. I'm super down to listen to what you have to say. And again, you can always find us on our website at extrasisters.com. And until next time, stay creepy.